Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Utah Film Pod. My name is Josh Terry. I will be your host, and I am joined, as always, by Mark Larocco. Mark, welcome back to the Utah Film Pod. Thank you. Happy to be here. Good. Excellent, excellent. How's your November treating you? My November is great. I guess the strike's over, kind of, maybe. The, uh, they signed a deal. So we're recording this on the 9th of November, and I read this morning that about 24 hours ago they signed a tentative deal. So I didn't get into the details of it, but I guess that means that you know they're going to keep making movies in the future. So that'll be... Hopefully. Something. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I saw that too. It was just yesterday. It was actually, yeah, just today, right? Or was it yesterday that they made that? Well, I, I read about it this morning and I read that they finalized or they came to a tentative agreement last night. Okay. So the evening of the 8th. But um, I have I have mixed feelings. <laughs> you were hoping it would I, keep going, the strike? Well, <laughs> it's not that I want the strike to keep going. It's that I want Hollywood to change. And as our content tonight will demonstrate, I'm kind of tired of getting this same stuff. And if it takes a strike or, you know, uh, a postponement of releases or whatever to kind of shake things up, I just, man, five years from now, I don't want to be sitting here with talking to you about the latest lame MCU movie. Yeah. And I don't know what it's going to take to change that because we're in such a rut, whether it's the MCU or just another franchise. I mean, next week I'm trying to decide whether to go cover the, the hunger games prequel. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah. I guess we've got to have a hunger games prequel. I know. So who was asking for that? That's kind of what I wonder. I, I, I wish I knew cause I'd have some words for them. <laughs> I guess I shouldn't complain too much because I do plan to read that one. I really like those books, and there is a there is a prequel book called The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, so I, I'm going to read that. But yeah, um, I'll see the movie too. I mean, not probably not anytime soon, not as soon as you will. Yeah. But yeah, um, I yeah. So so I guess that's that's what I mean. It's like you know, I don't I don't want people to remain out of work. It's and I, it's not that I don't want any more movies to come out ever. I just want the kind of movies that are coming out to change, mm-hmm. and I want the the system and the studios and all that to change in a good way. And so, I just well, want some of this I, to be effective. I think you'll get your wish in terms of the superhero Marvel stuff because they pretty much all underperformed for the last year and a half or so and yeah. there and so that means the budgets yeah. are going to get smaller and smaller they're not going to be greenlit as much and the expectations will be lower i mean finally i mean we're looking at this is probably even the first year in 10 years where none of the top two or three movies of the year will be marvel movies mm-hmm. you know it'll be barbie super mario brothers Actually, I guess Guardians 3 is probably the next one. I was going to say, but Guardians yeah. 3 probably will get up there. But Oppenheimer but, hey, if it's good, it's good. Yeah. If it's fine, you know, yeah. I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. There's there's just kind of a, you know, is this all we're getting? Mm-hmm. Ever? Really? Come on. Uh, luckily, it is not all we're getting because uh, I also do have a movie to talk about tonight that's one of my favorites of the year. Um, 
and it is not a franchise, at least not yet. I suppose they could make a sequel to it, but that would be very bizarre. Uh, yeah, so we got a few different things to cover. A couple of big movies coming out this weekend, uh, and then another movie that has been out for a little while that you were able to see and going to talk about, mm-hmm. and a follow-up on a movie that I saw and reviewed that you hadn't seen yet, but now you've seen it, so now you can talk about it. Yes. So there's some vague teasers. Although I guess if you read the description <laughs> of the episode on Spotify or wherever it is that you're reading or listening to this, you probably already know. And by the way, while you're at it, thinking about whatever platform you were listening to this podcast on, give us a like, give us a follow, make a commitment, show us that you care. Um, should we just get into these movies? Yeah. So the Marvels is coming out this weekend, and it is another MCU film. It is the second this year, right? Or third. The third, because of Ant-Man Quantumania. Oh, then you that had was not good. Yeah. Right. And then you had Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And now we've got the Marvels. And of the three, the Marvels is the least. It's not a good movie. Um, I would say it's not as bad as I feared. When you kind of get into the background of this movie, I guess there just have been a lot of issues, lots of reshoots, drama behind the scenes, rumors of drama behind the scenes, uh, pushing $300 million on the budget. Um, So with that in mind, I was, let's just say I was apprehensive going in. Um, And the quickest way to report on it is to say uh, the Marvels is a mess. Uh, Just not as bad of a mess or as bad of a movie as I feared it could be. Like, is it as Which, bad as Quantumania? It's a different kind of bad. <laughs> okay. The Marvels is the story of three superheroes who team up against a villain who is trying to drain the sun. Like our sun. Yeah. Right? And that's a really, really oversimplified basic way to put it. Because you don't really get that from watching the movie. You kind of have to step back and say, okay, what's happening here? And then you can kind of pull that out. Um, It's essentially an origin story for kind of an all-female version of the Avengers that pulls together characters from some of these Marvel properties we've been seeing over the last few years. Uh, Of course, Captain Marvel is the main kind of leader of the group. It's uh, Carol Danvers, played by Brie Larson. And she's I guess kind of sort of the most powerful superhero in the galaxy and, uh, you know, the character that people are probably most familiar with already. Um, I'm really still not sure what Captain Marvel is supposed to be. That's part of the problem Um, in terms of is she like the ultimate superhero? Because there's things that that she does or limitations she has in this movie that suggest that she doesn't have unlimited powers. But anyway, we move on. I think unlimited powers is no fun, though, right? Because then it's like, what's the challenge? Exactly. You know, yeah. Exactly. Um, uh, Monica Rambo is uh, Carol's best friend's daughter. She was played. She was a, a child in the original Captain Marvel movie, but now she's all grown up. Uh, we met her formally in uh, WandaVision, mm. and that's where she gets her, her superpowers. Is I think she like engages some force field and she gets superpowers. I can't say for sure because I didn't finish watching WandaVision. Oh, I didn't like it. Uh, Miss Marvel 
is an energetic teen who is coming fresh off of her Disney Plus series. Um, and honestly, she's like the best thing in the movie. Uh, she is just this really sweet, sincere kid, kind of described as a fangirl. Um, she's, you know, she's this innocent teenager who has superpowers and she wants nothing more than to be BFFs with Captain Marvel. And so this is her big chance. So these three kind of come together in a way that I'm still not exactly sure how it happens, but they basically get their powers entangled so that whenever one of them uses their powers, they, they teleport or they like swap places with one of the others. And I can see by the look on your face that that doesn't make sense to you either. And it's, it's weird. Yeah. So like if they use a power, the moment they use the power, they sort of switch places. Yes. And so during all the fight scenes, they're constantly bopping back and forth. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. So I, I, so like the moment you start to use the power. So for example, my sons have a superpower of right when you ask them to do their chore, the chore, they have to go to the bathroom immediately. Right. So like right when I ask, say, Blake to do the dishes and he says, I have to go right then, you, he would be in your chair with his, the headphones on or whatever, and you would be in our kitchen. Is that a fair? It would, it would be that if, yeah. if he and I both engage this weird portal thing at the same time, which is kind of how they get tied together. Okay. Mark, this movie is really confusing. <laughs> okay, got it. And I and I went into it thinking, you know what? I didn't watch Miss Marvel. I didn't finish WandaVision. It's been at least four years since I saw Captain Marvel. I didn't watch Secret Invasion. So this movie yeah. might not make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I, that's the thing. That's why I'm like checked out on a lot of these. Okay, but... About a half hour, 45 minutes into the movie, I realized, no, this is just a badly made movie. Oh, okay. It's, it's poorly written, poorly executed. It's, it's very, very confusing. Like, it's plot lines. The, the main plot line about the, the character getting revenge and, and trying to suck the power out of the sun, like, you kind of have to piece that together over the entire movie. It's not very clearly set up. Okay. And and all of this stuff just kind of this is this is the the best way that I can describe it. Something that I see a lot as a composition teacher is I will get a student paper that is very, very badly written. But because I'm the teacher and because I'm familiar with the assignment and I know what they are trying to do, I can kind of connect the dots in my mind and understand what they're trying to get across, even if they're doing a terrible job of getting it across. But it's only because of that extra knowledge that I'm able to kind of fill in those gaps. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's what watching this movie felt like, was, okay, I think because I have a pretty, you know, solid understanding of what the Marvel Universe is and what I think they're trying to accomplish with this movie, I can kind of connect the dots and make this make sense, but they're doing a really, really bad job of doing that mm. and anyone who doesn't have that background is just i don't know it's it's a mess that's that's the easiest thing i could say is it is a mess it is very confusing and all over the place uh it does have its good points like i said um the actress uh iman villani 
is Miss Marvel, and she's really sweet. She's a lot of fun. She's easily the best thing about the movie. One other thing that I noticed, which is, I guess, kind of a good-bad thing, they really seem to be leaning into the humor and chemistry between the three main characters. And in doing so, they're really trying to make them likable, and I would say more likable than they have been. Because I know that Captain Marvel and Brie Larson in particular have gotten a lot of criticism about being kind of cold and not very engaging uh, in terms of performances. And they're really trying to make her a, a lot more kind of friendly and okay. kind of happy and quirky. And kind of the same thing, they, they do the same thing with the Monica Rambo character, um, Toyona Paris. And it, it's just, I, I really appreciate the effort, but it doesn't seem very natural. And so it almost seems like they're kind of forced, like they're trying to be friendly when they're really not happy. They're making jokes and they're acting kind of quirky, but it doesn't feel like they're doing this naturally. It feels like they've been instructed to be kind of quirky and bubbly. And that's just kind of weird in its own way. And so I appreciate the effort, but it's still just, it's just not working. And, uh, yeah, so Marvels is not good. Hmm. It's just it's not good. So is it? It's definitely one of the lower rung, lower tier um, MCU movies. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Uh, the the MCU needs to take a break. They and I, and I realize that this is you know an impractical wish, but if they could just take a couple of years and figure things out, maybe start start fresh with something. Because it just it just seems like they're the movies are you don't look forward to them anymore. They're not events. There's there's nothing, you know. And they and they try to tease stuff. Like there's a there is a kind of a mid credits scene, you know. And I won't I won't spoil anything in terms of the detail in case anybody does want to see this. Um, but they're they're trying to set up, you know, some some future movies and and characters and all this kind of stuff and it's the kind of thing that i think 10 years ago we might have been really excited to see mm -hmm. but now only the most dedicated of fans who somehow are still on board with this stuff are going to care about because i saw it and i just didn't care at all yeah it was just of course well of course you kind of wonder if it's a combination of just general superhero fatigue and the quality getting worse because it's both it's got to be both right because i really yeah. genuinely oh, yeah. think some of those early mcu movies were really good really entertaining mm -hmm. and oh, well were. done and fun and and then it became more of a a rare thing to find and then it became where you just don't see it at all you know like i would i would still be happy to rewatch a lot of those earlier oh yeah ones i've done right it now yeah i've watched a few of them with with the kids and uh but yeah, they're all in that like 2008 to 15, 16 kind of range other than maybe like the um, Avengers, you know, mm -hmm. and Endgame. And I can't remember when Thor Ragnarok came out, but... I, I really do think a big part of it is quality. Yeah. They're just, you know, they, they don't feel 
they don't feel as cohesive as they used to. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like they're working together towards anything. And and then you kind of get into the multiverse stuff and well, kind of these other issues. And I've I've heard one problem is the 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 big villain of Phase Five or I don't know whatever phase we're supposed to be on or four uh-huh. was Kang, who was Jonathan right. Majors, but then he had a bunch of legal problems, potential right. domestic violence, and so he's in you know Quantum Mania, but. I don't know what's going to end up happening. I don't know the latest on on that because he that all happened this year. Um, well, and I guess I guess that's part of the problem as well is that his legal troubles aside, even if he didn't have legal troubles, I still wouldn't care mm-hmm. because there was nothing about his characters or the storylines that made me excited or anticipating this to go anywhere. Yeah, it just doesn't matter. And, and I do, I blame a lot of it on the multiverse thing, which is something that I was going to give credit to the Marvels for avoiding, but then they wind up doing some multiverse stuff too. So, mm. <laughs> okay. So you're, yeah, so what's your star like out of four, four stars? I think, star I think the most generous I could be would to say that it's like two stars out of four, Yeah. but I, I, I again, it's, it's a student paper that's really, really poorly written and poorly put together that you can, you can tell what they're trying to do. And when you take a step back, you can kind of connect the dots, but it's not the kind of movie that should force you to do that. This isn't, this isn't a Christopher Nolan puzzle, right? This isn't something that is supposed to be a challenge to, to follow and figure out. Mm -hmm. And it is. Yeah. Um, But the next movie I want to talk about, is a good one and it's uh it actually has given me a little hope for the the last couple months of 2023 uh and and believe it or not it also has a teaching theme so there might be a little bit of a theme to the movies we talk about uh today the other movie that's coming out this weekend uh is from alexander payne uh, who, at least to me, is best known as the guy who made a movie called Sideways got about, what, like 20 years ago? Yeah, um, yeah, I think it was. Paul Giamatti, Thomas Hayden Church, or a couple of buddies who go on a road trip in wine country and hijinks ensue, I think. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been a little while. Um, so yeah, so Alexander Payne has made a movie called The Holdovers, uh, which is the story of a prep school history teacher who gets stuck babysitting the handful of students who can't go home over the holiday break in 1970. So it's kind of a period piece. Um, there's a very, very late 60s, early 70s vibe to it. Uh, nobody's carrying around smartphones, and there's no technology references whatsoever, and so it really kind of stands out today. Um, Paul Giamatti plays the teacher, uh, so he's back from, from Sideways, and he's playing the teacher. Uh, the character's name is... Uh, Paul Hunnam, and he's a he's kind of this bitter underachiever. Uh, he he's he actually attended the prep school that he's teaching at, and kind of feels like he should have made something more of his life. Um, and he kind of wants to take out his life's frustrations on his students. Uh, uh, that's that was kind of one of my takeaways from this is that I almost felt like this movie was a warning to me in some ways. <laughs> it's like okay, so if I keep getting the same kind of student emails for ten more years, I'm going to be just like Paul Giamatti's character where I just 
relish punishing them and I just assume the worst at all times. And he kind of represents the worst of my instincts as a, as a long term frustrated English teacher. Um, But no, the, the movie really is, it's, it's a very bittersweet movie. Um, So, so, so Jumati plays the teacher. Um, Dominic Sessa plays Angus, who's the one student who's still left at the school after the others uh, get, uh, they take off on a ski vacation uh, with one of the ultra wealthy parents. Um, So it's the two of them. And then the only other person with them left on campus is Mary, who is the head of the kitchen staff. And she has stayed behind because she's still mourning the loss of her son who died in Vietnam. So they're kind of this Hmm. trio. And this is why, you know, it's, it's almost kind of this weird yin yang thing with the Marvels, right? Because the Marvels was like three three, three kind of disconnected characters who come together to kind of, like this villain and and the holdovers is about three very very different characters who kind of have to come together and learn how to get along and learn from each other and you know because paul giamatti's character you know he has to maybe learn about why he is a teacher and what he should be as a teacher and the kid uh angus uh is you know he's a child of divorce and he's really struggling with that and his parents are both trying to kind of uh, move on with things in their own way, at least one of them. And then uh, Mary, you know, she's she's this single mom who is just trying to get over the fact that her, I guess, I think he was still a teenager when the character was supposedly you know, killed in Vietnam. Um, so it can be, I guess that was one of the things I was worried about as the movie went on was, okay, I hope it doesn't kind of indulge too much in its misery here. Yeah. And, but, but luckily it's the kind of movie that, that ends in a hopeful way and it's, and it's kind of sweet. And there's, there's kind of like comedy and humor and, and there's a lot of heart to offset the, uh, the heaviness and, uh, some, some of the, the drama in places. Um, like I said, if you, if you've seen sideways or if you've seen some of Alexander Payne's other stuff, I think, did he do election? Yeah. He, that was before sideways. I've seen that too. Yeah. And I think he did downsizing though. I don't think downsizing was a great movie. I haven't seen downsizing or the descendants. I know he did that one too. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, I've seen election and sideways. Right. Um, I really did enjoy this one. Like I say, it, it can be a little heavy on the melancholy and it is, well, it's also, there's also quite a bit of R-rated language. It's not a constant thing, but there's enough of it that, you know, it's our, yeah. it, it, it merits its rating. Um, but overall, I, you know, it's this, it's this really nice character driven drama that makes you think, oh, this is good. This is these are the kind of movies I want to see because they're, they're very real mm-hmm. and there are no sky beams and I don't hear about drama behind the scenes and Wait. nobody's making YouTube videos about these movies. What, what's a sky beam? What movies have what's a sky beam? Are you talking about like when they're trying about to like attract people? Every to single, a... like every single Marvel movie has a sky beam at the end when some, some laser beam thing shoots up into the sky Hmm. Okay. You're not familiar with the, the sky beam I, I, trope? Well, no, I guess I'm not. I was thinking of like, you know, when you're, when they're uh, 
some some places trying to attract customers and they have something shooting into the sky uh, and like moving all around and you right. see it from like a mile away or whatever and i know so remember it in the the original avengers movie mm-hmm. when when loki has the the professor guy set up that machine on top of tony stark's tower yeah and it shoots it shoots the laser thing up into the sky to open up the portal so the aliens can invade yeah, the Shatari. That's that's the sky beam. Okay, okay. And yeah. like every MCU movie and a lot of other movies have sky beams. I think they should and do it. It's kind of this well-worn trope. Just for you, Payne should release a director's cut of the holdovers with a sky beam ending. <laughs> you know, I would trust him to pull it off. <laughs> I would trust him to pull it off. Oh, uh, one other thing I really, really like about this movie... The cinematography, especially kind of towards the beginning of the movie, when they're they're kind of setting the scene. This takes place in New England, um, you know. Like I said, nineteen seventy. It's on this this prep school campus, and you're seeing kind of the the onset of winter and the holidays, and so the snow's coming down, and you see students walking around the campus, and it is beautiful. It is just, you know, I I, I wouldn't say that there's some there's nothing really flashy about the imagery mm-hmm. it just works and it just sets up such a great tone that i don't know and so so this is a movie i enjoyed on many many levels and uh as a like i say as kind of a you, you put it up against kind of the franchise stuff and i'm not just i'm not just picking on marvels here i mean you kind of set this up against any of the big franchises and I think the holdovers is the kind of movie that I appreciate more these days. Yeah. It sounds like I would like it too. I, I actually have already told hi, my wife about it and maybe one that we'll go see in the theater. Yeah. So. It, it might be my favorite movie of the year so far. I mean, it's, oh. it's up there. It's up there against air. Um, what are some of the other ones we've been talking about? I, I like both of those better than killers of the flower moon. Yeah. Um, but I would, I mean, I would consider Flower Moon up there and with, you, yeah. you know, and, uh, some of the, the better movies of 2023 for sure. Did you see Sound of Freedom? No. How high do you rank Spider-Verse? I would not say it is my favorite movie of the year. It might be the best franchise movie of the year that I've seen. Mm-hmm. In fact, it probably is because I think I'd say that I enjoyed that a little bit more than Guardians Volume Three. And you saw? Uh, did you see Barbie? I haven't seen Barbie. Oh, okay. So obviously, once I see that, that'll be number one. Yeah, it'll no have question. to be number one. Yeah. 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 Anyway, with that much pink, I just you know I'm a sucker for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, you saw? Well, any other? Do you have any questions about the holdovers that I can? satisfy well it's funny i kind of don't want to ask the questions because i don't want you to accidentally i already know i want to see it and i I don't want to like i really don't want to know more much more about it but it sounds like if it's yeah if it's a contender for the top film of the year it it certainly has my interest well it is already did so well and i think from what i've read uh it's already getting those kind of reviews that would put it in the oscar category the oscar conversation um that are you know it's 
it's just like both sort of a crowd pleaser and a lot of critics like it. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I do want to see that. I, I hope it is in contention. I, I hope that it is one of the ones that uh, other people single out because it, it stood out to me. Yeah. It really did. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Cool. So, so that's what I've got, but I heard that, uh, I heard that you just saw something. Well, I literally just right before we started <laughs> recording, I mean, I had the credits rolling and within 10 minutes, I, I mean, I was opening this up, up the Zoom. So I'm, I'm, uh, I just saw Five Nights at Freddy's, which is a horror film based on a video game. It came out about nine years ago. Um, that was, the movie was written by the, the developer of the video game. And um, I, it's, apparently it's been in production, kind of like in development hell for something like seven or eight years, like a long time. And it finally... Blumhouse, who, who's done a lot of a lot of horror movies and made a lot of horror movies kind of on a low budget and made a good profit in the last five, six years, was the one that did, did this. Um, and uh, I, I keep seeing Funko Pops of the characters from Five Nights at Freddy's. Oh, okay. And I don't know if it's like this movie or if it's more they're supposed to be from the game. But I, I see them all the time, and I just look at it and think, I have no idea what that is. Well, it looks interesting, but I have no idea what that is. Yeah, let me kind of explain. And, and, my, and my son watched part of it with me tonight, my oldest son. He, he had known about it. He's played the game before, which I didn't know until tonight, but he played it on a friend's device, and then he knew a little bit of the background. And so there's this, it's kind of like a Chuck E. Cheese type of place. It's just like a pizzeria where there's these animatronic characters. And there's four of them. Uh, there's like a fox, a bunny, a bear. Um, one of them holds a cupcake that also comes to life called Mr. Cupcake. <laughs> it's kind of corny. And um, I thought the movie was bad, just, just to be honest. Like, <laughs> there were certain things about it that I tried to like. <laughs> you just... There's the big long background, I know, a quick setup, I, and then just hey, you know what? There's it was bad. so much of it that <laughs> it could have been a lot better. And and again, I I'm not a fan of the video game. I've never played it. I, I I think I understand it, but essentially, what Five Nights at Freddy's means is that you are a security guard, and the main character in the movie is a security guard played by Josh Hutcherson, who is also uh, Peter Malark in the Hunger Games franchise. Yeah. And again. he's uh, plays a guy named Mike who basically needs this job to try to impress the state enough to keep his sister, who is uh, his aunt, is trying to take custody of his little sister. Parents aren't around anymore. He just takes care of his little sister. And then there's also this weird kind of wedged-in subplot where he has a, his brother was kidnapped when he was little, and he has nightmares about it. And then as he's working at the security job each night, um, he gets more and more information. It's almost like he, he's a, he becomes a lucid dreamer to where he can become part of his dream and solve the mystery of what happened to his, his little brother, I guess sort of the middle brother, and then the, the little sister is named Abby. And he, uh, and it's kind of just weird and like it feels shoehorned in. And, and, and in the video game, apparently, you just have to survive five nights at Freddy's and it gets worse and worse and the characters get a little bit faster and you're just in a bunch looking at a bunch of screens where you see what rooms are going in and you try to keep them out of certain rooms and not get close to you and you can control 
the lights and open and shut doors. And it sounds just, I don't know, not really my type of game, I guess. But so I think what they've done is in the movie, they've tried to put a lot of these sort of fan servicing Easter eggs of little of characters in there. Like there's little glimpses of characters that aren't the main four in the band in like the animatronic you know, rock band that you see. Um, and then anyway, the, the, the story that kind of develops throughout the movie is so bizarre. And I thought the script was not good. It's one of those scripts where the people are saying things that are just happening on the screen at the time you're seeing them without hardly any depth. And it's almost like a bad sports announcer, like when you're watching a game and they're just telling you what you're seeing without giving you extra helpful information or interesting quips or background stories. And uh-huh. and I just, there were so many scenes where I'm like, gosh, that could have really been juiced up with a better script or maybe don't tell us quite as much and, you know, leave yeah. a little bit more to the imagination. And so it was... So it was really a matter of execution and not the fact that you are not a fan of the game. I think so. I mean, I might be wrong because it's one of these funny, when you look at Rotten Tomatoes, the, the fan uh, you know, uh, score or the, the audience score is very, very high and the critic score is very, very low. So there, people have been liking it. People have been enjoying it. It was the top movie last weekend in the box office and it's on peacock i just watched it at home on the streaming service peacock which is associated with nbc and so you know there's plenty of people who like it i I guess they're happy with what what they got out of it um i thought there's there's a reveal in it that just is not that believable for me but maybe for some people it works (laughs) it works for them um there's not as many jump scares as i felt there should have been um I mean, there's a scene where, because you're supposed to be scared of these animatronic characters as they kind of start to come to life and terrorize certain people and all that. And and then they, they befriend, basically, the little sister of Mike. And she's, like, friends with them. And they're, she enjoys them, and she's not really spooked by them. And, and so then, as the audience, we're a lot less spooked by them. And there's, there's another villain or whatever, but, like, there's... So I don't know if that's part of the actual lore in the movie, it's in the video game itself, or if the screenwriters maybe took it a little farther. I just don't know. But for me, it's uh, not a great movie. Now, there's some actors that you'll faces you'll recognize. Matthew Lillard, you may remember, um, from like mm-hmm. Scooby-Doo, SLC Punk, Scream. I think Scream. he was in the Scream movies, if I remember. The first one, yeah. The first one, okay. And then um, the... Uh, Mary uh, Stuart Masterson is in it. Um, not really any other names. Just just Josh Hutcherson is the kind of the star of it. But okay. uh, for people who are fans of it, they probably already seen it. You know, fans of the video game. Um, if you want, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I'm not gonna. I just, I'm not gonna say. Well, if you like this, then watch it. Like, I'm just not recommending that you watch it. There's like way yeah, well, like said, better movies it, to see. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and uh, quick correction. Yes. Uh, when I was talking about favorite franchise movies of 2023, I forgot about Mission Impossible. Oh, yeah. That one's probably got to be the number one franchise movie. Because I think I would say that as, as much as I really do genuinely enjoy the creative animation and style of the Spider-Verse movies, 
I still think that the Mission Impossible one was more fun. I, I enjoyed it more, yeah. And and I, yeah. I think that part of it for me is just the Spider-Verse. It is so good. I mean, it really is, but it's just, yeah. it's a lot. It was it was overwhelming, right. you know, and I felt that way a little bit in the first one, but even more so in this one. Um, no, the first the first one was a lot more contained. Yes. And so the concept was a lot easier to follow. Mm-hmm. And and this one, you know, the new one this year, they really took off with it, which. Yeah, I, I can see myself watching Beyond the Spider-Verse or what's it called? In, uh, uh, the across newest, the Spider-Verse. Across the Spider-Verse, the yeah. Yeah. I could see myself watching this one at home, pausing it, checking out all the little Spider-Men they show in those scenes where he's in the uh-huh. portal and he's in like the little, I don't know what it's called, some terminal location where there's all these right. different versions and saying, okay, I get what that one is or I, I like this one. And I would almost want to slow it down and just take a breath every half an hour or something and take it all in and then keep watching it, you know, which yeah. I don't know. It's kind of a weird thing, but... It, I definitely do. I do want to see it again, but yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Well, so uh, it looks like it looks like we are one for three so far <laughs> as far as recommendations. Um, I think what we'll do to to wrap up though, because uh, you were able to see a movie that we talked about previously that only I had seen mm-hmm. at that point, and so uh, let's 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 tie this off by getting your thoughts on Killers of the Flower Moon. And uh, maybe maybe before we get into it, um, you know, we talked about this before we started recording. Uh, because it's been out for a little while, and because we've already covered it on the podcast officially, and because it's not what either of us, I think, would describe as the most spoilery movie like in terms of like giving away plot points it's a fairly linear plot yeah we're just gonna say that our discussion for the rest of the podcast is going to just get into those spoilers relentlessly we're gonna give away everything Mm -hmm. so if you keep listening from this point killers of the flower moon is gonna be ruined for you right just don't blame us because we warned you okay well here's ready go here's a cut a little here's some thoughts I have about that so it's a historical drama so anyone who's mm-hmm. familiar with the story or read the book or read the wikipedia or any number of articles you can find on it, it right. I wouldn't even say it could be spoiled for you I mean other than the execution and some of the directing mm-hmm. choices and the story choices but the story itself I don't really believe it, it can be in that sense if you just kind of know it you know, I think by well, now and, and, and see, I didn't and I still didn't feel like it could be spoiled. I still felt like I knew everything that was going to happen. Right. You probably did, because very early on, you figure out like De Niro, you know, William Hell's not a good guy. Ernest right. Burkhart is definitely motivated. It's kind of a dim witted guy that's really mm-hmm. on the surface, motivated by money. Of course, wants to get married. Um, I thought DiCaprio's performance was so good, like. Even just the way he contorted his face, the the whole movie into this sort of this dumb look, and uh, also, but he's also like making you know trying to get away with what he's trying to get away with. But he did not look like the Leo DiCaprio you see, and you know, sort of the confident, intelligent. Maybe he's been a swindler or a hustler like in other movies, mm-hmm. but I just thought it was a brilliant per- face performance and everything. Um, 
Yeah, where do we start? I mean, you've already re reviewed it, so let me just say a couple things. Some of my thoughts yeah. about it. So, I I was and and luckily because I had been hearing forever how long this movie was. It's three hours and twenty six minutes. I was prepared for a slog a little bit. I was prepared for the long haul, and it did not feel that way for me. Like I I was so surprised at how how well paced it was and how I was never, it never felt slow to me or at least overly slow. And I went into this thing at a 9.15 showing, which of course with previews wow. means 9.40 or whatever, 9.30. And so I knew it was going to be late. It was a Friday night. I went with my friend, Chad Gardner, who had also read the book. So we were ready to see it because we'd read the book and we were like, let's do this. And I brought a, I'm not trying to do an ad here, but it was a bucked up energy drink, blood orange flavor. I'm like, I want to make sure I'm awake. I'm not going to fall asleep. I was also worried about the bathroom thing, but whatever, it's just going to happen. I sat there the whole time without moving. And I mean, it was great. And so I don't know. I, I like to say that maybe part of my experience of the movie has to do with having an energy drink, you know, while I'm watching it. But sure um, it I think it helped. It definitely didn't hurt. So I thought uh, Lily Gladstone. I think you mentioned her last time. She plays yeah. Molly Burkhart. And, mm -hmm. and you know, a lot has been said about this relationship between these two because how much of it is, is real, genuine love, like marital love and concern, and how much of it is sort of DiCaprio trying to just get up the money. Like, he's under the influence. He's almost under the spell of his, of his uncle, King, you know, right. William King Hale. And... Is he is he just intending to like poison his wife and 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 get the head rights to the waters, or is it like well he has to kind of keep her down, like keep her in her place and keep her from, you know, getting out there and being overly concerned about her family who's being murdered and investigating that. I mean, because it's very creepy. Because I get the sense that he has real love for her, like he he loves her. Yeah. You know, and it's a little bit twisted, obviously, what he's doing. But you remember at one point, he takes, he's feeding her insulin. I mean, he's, they're putting something in. I was going to say, there's, there's an additive. There's an additive in the <laughs> that insulin. That is not insulin. That's, that's keeping her sick. But <laughs> right. like, he, he drinks some of it at one point. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. I remember that very well. And so, you know, I, I want to believe, maybe it's sort of the optimist in me. I don't know. I just want to believe that he doesn't fully know what he's doing or doesn't fully understand what he's doing he, can i can i tell you go how ahead. i interpreted that yeah go ahead because i think i i think you make a really really good point and i agree i think that his performance is definitely one of the strongest points of the movie um i think it almost seems like his yes he's under the spell of his uncle but it almost seems like he's not if not equally he is just also under the spell of his wife. Not that his wife is trying to like manipulate him like his uncle is, but like his feelings for his wife and his kind of uncomfortable devotion and loyalty to his uncle just kind of tell me that this is a guy who kind of does what he's told. He's mm -hmm. easily impressionable. And so I think that he did have some real feelings for his wife, which is kind of what helps him to make some of the decisions he makes. And he also clearly is being manipulated 
Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't see it for a second that the whole thing is a ruse and every bit of his relationship with Molly is a fraud Mm -hmm. because I think he, he just strikes me as the kind of character that is going to go along with whoever is in front of his face at the time. Yeah. That that might be true. I mean, and that's probably shows his suggestibility, his vulnerability. He's sort of weak minded in a way, although he's also trying to pull off some of these things, um, even like participating in robberies and, and things like that and hiring yeah. people to murder. But I, but I think his own initiative is very, like if it wasn't for his uncle's involvement, he probably would spend his life as some kind of a petty thief. Yeah, probably. You know, not, but, not really but going he, anywhere. But I don't get the feeling he'd be like murdering off Indians for their water rights. You oh, know, exactly. That's, that's what I mean. And, and I think I think that his criminal initiative right. is largely driven by you know the enabling power and influence of his uncle because yeah. he's he wouldn't have the brain power to come up with something that that you know diabolical. And remember, in the um, uh, well, yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Um, the turning point of where he sort of finally decides not to like to testify against his uncle is yeah. really when his a child dies, when his child dies. Um, because right. the whole movie, he's really on his uncle's side uh, until the end. But then you get that scene where she wants him to tell the truth. And I love the way it's worded in the script. Like when, when she says, have you told all the truths, you know, to yeah, his face? Because right. she knows by this time. And I even think of the beginning movie, and that's the other whole question about it is, I, I'm not saying she's like she's complicit in her own, like her own family's murder, or whatever. But like, the Indians already know by the early 1920s that when whites are marrying them, there's also at least a secondary ulterior benefit motive. for them, an ulterior motive, right. Right? right? But they put up with it. They get married. They have families. That kind of stuff. But like, she's sitting around. You know, you remember on the blanket with her sisters, and they call him a coyote. Um, she uses that word you know, like he's a coyote, like in the hen house. And it's almost like they think, well, you know, they want us for the money, but like, we're also going to be family and we're going to have kids and hopefully it, it blossoms and develops into something real. But she's always, and I watched her eyes a lot. I think she gives a, a great eye performance because there's so much in there. Like, I mean, at first there's, there is a skepticism. It's kind of a healthy skepticism, but there's also a curiosity because, you know, he, yeah. he gives her a ride. He's almost like he's assigned to by his uncle. But he's giving her, like, these cab rides and making jokes and making her laugh. But you look at the way their courtship proceeds, and she has a lot of control in it. Like, she kind of tells him what to do and where. And, and maybe part of it is the money dynamic, money-slash-power dynamic. Because we do have the white guy, but it's a poor white guy. Just got back from the war and doesn't have much money. And then you have... A, a rich Indian woman, you know, um, because yeah. of this oil. And so, she, well, I almost got that same, I almost got a sense of that from the mother mm-hmm. because I almost got the idea that the mother was frustrated with Molly for bringing this guy into the house. Yeah. And so it just, just in a sense that I think Molly was the one calling the shots. Yeah. He, he, he didn't, 
he didn't push his way in there. He he waited for her to make the invitation. That's true. Yeah, like the, a lot of the things where how they're how it proceeds in their relationship are are kind of at least the timing is is dictated by her. But then she gets to a point where she falls for him, and it's like she can't help herself and is just going to go in trusting. But yeah. you know, maybe never one hundred percent trusting. Um, but I mean, it's just so chilling because yeah, it's not a reveal movie. It's not like a big mm-hmm. who done it at the end. You know, within the first half an hour, I feel like. And but it's so creepy how William Hale is presents himself as such a a friend of the Osage, like a benefactor to them. And he's even going to like put up some of his own money to help find the killers, you know, which of course he's right. not really going to help. Um, but he's, I, he's, he's actually going to kill the people who are yeah, hired to find the exactly, killers. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just, and when you read, when you read the book, it's even worse than in the movie. Like they show a lot of murders. And one of the complaints I've seen about this by an Osage Indian person is that, these, um, first of all, some people are upset it was made by a white person, you know, by Martin Scorsese, but they're also upset that how almost casual and quick and even bloodless some of the murders are, like mm-hmm. instead of drawing them out or having backstories around each of them, but you really can't. There's so many murders. And, and this is another thing I like is she narrates some of this. Molly, Lily Gladstone, does some of the voiceover narration. And, and early in the movie, they, there's sort of these cutaways of some of the murders. One of them is actually pretty horrifyingly disturbing, which is like a mother by a baby carriage with her baby oh, being murdered. Yeah. But some of them are just like there's a body laying half in a creek or something, you know. Right. And um, she says no investigation. She says so-and-so murdered, age, whatever, no investigation. So-and-so murdered, right. age. And it's such a, a great bookend to like the very last line in the movie. Um, which is there was no mention of the murders. Um, do you remember that when Martin Scorsese himself gets up and like reads the obituary of her? Of, of, That's right. I mean, and and thing is, so when I saw this movie, I um, that was the only part that I had a visceral like I was disappointed. I I kind of wanted either like a big pow sort of ending or sort of what I call words on the screen, like a normal. Um, uh, epilogue of the, like so the, crypt, the cryptic final crawl right yeah like a final crawl this happened this happens because i'm like there's no way there are we're already at three hours and 20 minutes there's to me there was a lot more that kind of had to happen where yeah. like there's an investigation done decades later at the end of the book and it's already a sad hard book to read and then you find out that there was such a higher percentage of indians who died under suspicious causes that were never investigated that probably were murdered and you know poisoned and different things and it just is like unbelievable like if it weren't a true story even the movie itself you would think is a little bit ridiculous you know like that they the white people got away with it you know far-fetched yeah that's a good word so but what they did again you know we're in spoiler territory so like the movie ends and it's uh molly confronts uh Ernest and you know have you told all the truths and he lies to her and he says yes and then she leaves him and they never see each other again and then the rest of the story is told through like this old-timey radio program with a bunch of musicians like Jack White and 
and they're um, using sound effects that sound good. It's all white people performing it. And I, and then you have Martin Scorsese get up there. And I'm looking at my friend Chad. I'm like, that's Martin Scorsese because I don't think he knew. And he reads the obituary. And then it shows like sort of a modern day, you know, Indian Osage circle or something. And I was like, I was like, that was dumb. Like I, I didn't, <laughs> I just, that took me out of it. Like that took me out of the movie. Like just them narrating what happened in this sort of, sponsored by lucky strike cigarettes and it makes the fbi look good you know and then uh-huh. as i read about that and that really happened um you know the fbi wanted to trump up their involvement in the story which is how the book is too like they were the ones who kind of solved the crimes like tom white yeah. um and and it's like who it, who lives who dies who tells your story it reminds me of that song at the end of hamilton but i'm like I thought it was a brilliant, very unorthodox ending. And in, in a way, it does feel like a little bit of an anticlimax, I guess you could say. But um, the more I began, the more it kind of just sunk into me after walking out, the more I liked it. I don't know. But what did, what did you think of that? I mean, did it like, was it jarring or was it like, what's, yeah. what's going on here? You know, like. Yeah, it, it definitely it, felt jarring. It definitely felt like. Okay, we're going to fast forward to the end. We're going to kind right. of pack in a lot of information here, and this is the most interesting way we can come up with to yeah. do it. You know, because I guess I guess being a Scorsese movie, you would almost expect him to do like some kind of climactic montage. Yeah, look of at what happened to each individual character. Right. You know, the, everybody everybody dying set to the. Layla the piano, the piano <laughs> yeah. coda from Layla, right? right? And, <laughs> it, and honestly, if he had done it exactly like that, I would have been totally on board. <laughs> um, and so, so this did it did feel awkward. I can't say that I, I hate to put it this way, but I can't say that I care enough to really want to say it's good or bad. Like yeah. it's there, it's, it's fine. Just there. It's, yeah, um, yeah. I think, I, I think that. Because I enjoyed it as a three star out of four movie, mm-hmm. I was fine with the ending. I wasn't particularly impressed. I didn't feel like it was the greatest way to finish it. But I, like, if it had been one of my favorite, favorite movies and then they did that, it might have bothered me more. Yeah. It's just, huh, well, that's kind of interesting. Uh, quick, quick aside. Yeah. You know what? The all time best, at least in my opinion, all-time best cryptic final crawl is no the end of american graffiti oh okay which, which one is there one character they, specifically that there you... are four because okay. it, the, the, the movie mostly follows four characters and at the very end kind of out of nowhere like the music and everything just drops out and you i think you still have the sound of an airplane which is connect, connected to the last scene and then they have like the the words come up on the screen, and it is it is haunting. Mm, okay, it's absolutely haunting. But wow. anyway, yeah, yeah. Just, I definitely need to... to revisit that. That's probably one I'll watch in the next year. We did hit Sounds the good. 50, 50 year, but yeah, I, 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 I saw after that. For me, I mean, it was near nearly a flawless movie. I mean, even with my friend Chad, I, when I was sitting there. Like before that end scene, like I called it a near masterpiece, and then when um, that ending happened, I was I was just like, 
Okay, that's the ending. And I'm like, and that's Martin Scorsese. Like, that's the director. But, you know, he's been in a cameo. He's cameoed in all of his movies, I think, or oh, yeah. almost all of them. And then, and, and maybe it just said something to say, look, at this point, this is, we're white people telling an, an Osage story. We're going to sort of just lean into that and show you that this is the kind of thing that happened even even after these Osage murders and even after the FBI came in and solved the murders in the 20s, in the 40s, there was a radio show that wasn't really for the purpose of showing any great respect to the Osage Nation. It was to build up the FBI and say, hey, we're doing good work here, sponsored by Lucky Strike Cigarettes, you know, and they tell this story and it's all white people in the audience listening to it. And um, and then he just gets up and looks at the camera, just like Henry Hill. I mean, you know, looks at the camera at the end of Goodfellas, basically, right. which was a weird, a weird moment because he starts in the courtroom, like during the testimony, and then he's on the he's on the his porch in Arizona talking about how he's like a a schmuck. I can't remember what word he used. Was it a schnook? Schnook. Yeah, I think a schnook. <laughs> you know, like. He, he just hates being, you know, uh, in the witness protection program. He misses his life in the mafia. But, like, in um, in this movie, like, yeah, that that last line, there was no mention of the murders in her obituary. And one of the just craziest stories you'll ever hear. Like, that's just, yeah. I, I love David Grant's book. I, I just think he did. I cannot wait to read all of his other books. In fact, Mark Scorsese's already optioned another one called The Wager, uh, which is oh, yeah. a David Grand book he's going to make a movie of, where apparently it's a story about some people who uh, survive a shipwreck and go to shore, and be and they're almost like heroes, hero survivors of this story, and they tell this tale about what happened, but then you find out that there's more to the story. Like, they there were, there were mutiny, and there were some murders, and... And it's a true story that happened in like the 1800s or something. And so I think that's going to be a Scorsese movie. But I mean, this guy's 81, I think. So you just don't know how many more he has left in him. So it's good to enjoy these last, these last few. And I, I like this one quite a bit. I mean, I can tell for me it was a maybe the top movie of the year. I mean, I and it's probably my favorite Scorsese I've seen in can't think of the last one I enjoyed as much as this one. Definitely more than The Irishman. Um, no silence. I never saw Wolf of Wall Street, but yeah, I just I I really I really appreciated it. I mean, the whole design of the town too was a ton of work. There's this production designer named Jack Fisk who did the same thing for There Will Be Blood. Designed an ore oil derrick and an old town and. This is a 1920s Oklahoma town with a real, like they built a railway and a railway station and everything just for a couple, two or three scenes kind of. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I thought it was very good. Um, I plan to watch it again. It's on Apple. In the, it's supposed to be in the next, I don't think they've given us a date, but I'll bet you within the next month or so. Uh, nice. But, yeah. I Well, just uh, just, just make sure you're, well caffeinated beforehand. <laughs> well, that's, I guess that's, that's the nice thing about being at home is I can just watch it. <laughs> and it's so long. I'm sure it'll be two or three sittings, but I, I kind of want to watch it with my wife. And um, yeah, I like, I don't know what, what and that the other thing I think that kind of was nice about it. Like I, I was good is 
I kind of thought because it was Scorsese that he would just fill it full of like F words. That's how like so many of his movies are. And he right. didn't, which was good. Like, okay, maybe that's no. how they talk. Like it wasn't, it was really just violence. I mean, that's why, well, why it was R. And even the violence most of the time, you kind of alluded to this earlier. I felt like the violence was at least compared to his other movies, oh, pretty yeah. tame. It was. Yeah. It was you know, not it, I didn't I didn't get the sense that he was putting anything in that movie that didn't need to be there. Right. There was nothing that was gratuitous. If anything, it almost felt like he was holding back sometimes. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe for effect, right? Maybe just to right. kind of like show the dismissiveness of some of this. I think so. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I noticed that too. I was like, okay, this is kind of unusual choice for Scorsese. He's going more like Spielberg than Tarantino on some of these deaths, you know, these killings. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I... I uh, yeah, I, I guess I appreciated that because it's it's a movie that I'm very you know ecstatic to to recommend. But it's nice. losing a lot of money. Not that that matters as much, but I always like to check box office mojo. Oh, really? It was a two hundred million dollar production, and Ooh, I mean this was wow. made years ago too. And and he even wrote an initial draft of a screenplay that followed the book. Leo DiCaprio was supposed to play Tom White. That's how much they were going to follow yeah, the book. Right. He was going to play Tom White, and then they ended up. He ended up playing the you know Ernest Burkhart, and uh, Jesse Plemons comes in with forty five minutes left in the movie or whatever you know. And <laughs> I think uh, I liked it. I was worried about the direction it was going to go, the way I was reading about it, and I I, I liked what 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 he did with it because to me it was yeah. still like the De, De Niro and DiCaprio still did kind of dominate the movie. I think Molly was sort of the heart of the movie, but so many of the scenes are Denario and DiCaprio. She's um, the one you're pulling for. Yeah, and you're I, pulling I would, for, I would say that sure. was, I was, I was, she was the, the biggest source of suspense mm-hmm. for me in terms of, what's is she, she going to do when it? she finds, yeah, is, is she, she going to make it? Oh yeah. Cause you didn't, yeah. you, you, you didn't really know yeah, the story. So. And so right. I knew what was happening, but the only thing I didn't know was whether it was going to go far enough that she was going to die and they were going to get the money. So that, that was really the only source of, kind yeah. of tension and suspense for me. But, uh, well, it sounds like we got uh, two recommendations mm-hmm. and two non-recommendations, mm-hmm. one from each of us. So uh, that's pretty good. And uh, thanks to the uh, apparent deal, maybe Scorsese will get to make that other adaptation of that book from that guy. Yeah. David Graham. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, thank you everyone for joining us this time. Again, if you have a chance, if you hadn't already, please give us a like, a follow, whatever. We'll show your support and uh, we'll come back to you in a little bit and maybe we'll report back on some of the numbers from some of these movies we've been talking about because it can be interesting to see how some of this stuff plays out. Mm -hmm. And based on what we're also seeing, Looks like we're getting into kind of the award season stuff, so there might be some fun movies ahead. Until then, take care.